0: Today on Hardwired. When Jesus Christ returns, everybody, which will be the final climactic event in the history of the world, judgment will commence. And those who pierced him, the Jews, and all the tribes of the earth, the nations and the peoples and the ethnicities, will mourn, literally beat themselves, why? Over what they missed.
1: Because when they see him, they will know it was true welcome to hardwired with pastor jeff wickwire whether you find yourself in a good place maybe in a difficult place or possibly even in a very lonely place let me encourage you that you've come to the right place now if you're not able to stick around with us for all of today's program you can always listen to it at our website hardwired.org you may have been listening to the program for a while or possibly just tuned in well i want you to know that we do this for you. With a world that is searching and coming up empty, it's nice to know you can land on this message of hope and truth, something we all need to hear. So let's jump right in with today's program. Here's Pastor Jeff to tell us what's coming up in today's edition of Hardwired. Hello everybody and welcome to
0: this edition of Hardwired. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, today we begin an exciting brand new series that I'm calling A new world is coming and we're gonna go through the book of Revelation. And I know that excites you like it does me because this book is so relevant to our time today. And we're gonna see just how relevant as the days go by and we go through this entire last book of the Bible, the Revelation. And today we're gonna begin with the glorified Messiah because that's what the book of Revelation introduces us to. Jesus as the resurrected, Son of God. This is such a great word. I want you to grab your Bible, something to write with, get ready to take some notes, and let's start this brand new series through the book of Revelation with a bang. I'm excited to share part two of the message, The Glorified Messiah. Let's go. The book of Revelation is not John's revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon come to pass. So what God is doing in the revelation is he's bringing out of hiding or out of cover things that had never been revealed before. So we are really, really blessed tonight to be able to read this and study it. Amen? Given to show his servants from the early church all the way up to us, things which must shortly take place. Now people have read that and they go, wait a minute. He wrote that in the first century. We're in the 21st century. He said those things would shortly take place. So how can it be? He said, shortly, and we're 20 centuries down the road. How can that be? Because shortly take place is a Greek expression, meaning a rapidity of execution once it starts. Once these events begin, like I told you, they happen chronologically, sequentially, like dominoes falling one after another. So they happen with with rapidity, rapidly, after they begin. And so that's what that means. John lets us know that the initial target audience of the letter is the seven churches existing at the time of the writing. He calls them the seven churches in the province of Asia. He blesses them. He says, grace and peace to you from the one who is and who always was and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before the throne." Next, John describes in verse seven, the second coming of Christ at the end of the ages. Behold, he is coming. I can't read this enough. Can can we just say that together? Behold, Behold, he is coming. Don't ever, ever let that go. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Amen. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, that means the Jewish people, And all the tribes of the earth will gaze upon him and beat their breasts and mourn and lament over him. Even so must it be, amen, so be it. When Jesus Christ returns, everybody, which will be the final climactic event in the history of the world, judgment will commence. And those who pierced him, the Jews, and all the tribes of the earth, the nations and the peoples and the ethnicities, will mourn, literally beat themselves. Why? Over what they missed. Because when they see him, they will know it was true. Oh no, it was true. I should have listened to that witness, that evangelist, that preacher, that friend, that parent, that child. And they beat themselves because of what they missed. In verse 10, he describes how the visitation that came to him took place. He says, I was in the spirit wrapped in his power on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice like the calling of a war trumpet. And the voice he heard that instructed him, I want you to write in a book what I'm showing you and send it to these seven churches. I want, and how many of you are thankful he wrote it in a book? Amen. You're holding the result of it in your hand. Amen. Now, the seven churches he names were near Patmos, as I've already said. John was only a rowboat's journey away from their location in Greece. He wasn't far, he was just exiled. Contrary to what some people think, the people in these churches were not all believers like it is today. Churches are full of people. Some saved, some not. Yeah, and there's pulpits of saved preachers and preachers that have never been saved. They're just pontificating because they're good with words. They can draw a crowd. They like the intellectual aspects of it, but they never have been born again. They have a form of godliness as Paul predicted, but they deny the power thereof. They were like our churches today. These seven churches in Asia Minor, just the same. And Jesus sends the equivalent of a postcard to every one of these churches with a warning to the lost among them and correction and encouragement to the saved. When John turned to see the source of the voice, he saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, capital S, capital M. So this is deity, clearly not an angel because you don't capitalize an angel, you capitalize only deity like a son of man, clothed with a robe, which reached to his feet and with a girdle of gold about his breast. He was given a vision, an open vision of the glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ who has ascended back into glory to the right hand of the Father. He's given a vision of him. Now let's take what he saw. The lampstand John mentions was a lamp holder. We've seen them in pictures of Old Testament stuff, the tabernacle and the temple. They had seven spiral extensions protruding out of it, each extension containing oil and a wick. And his description of the risen Son of God is awesome and stunning. He says he was clothed with a garment down to his feet. He was girded about the chest with a golden band. Now, gold symbolizes deity in the Revelation. This golden band was like a thick belt around his waist. A similar thing is described by Paul in the armor of God. What did he say? Gird yourself with the belt of truth. I got a call tonight on, to every man and answer from somewhere in the country, somebody wanting to know, how do you put on the armor of God? How do you put on the armor of God? The armor of God is not something you recite. It's truth you walk in. Okay, so when you say, I'm gonna put on the belt of truth, that means I am going to gird myself with the truth of God's word. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to assimilate it. I'm going to apply it. I'm going to obey it. It's gonna become a part of my life. And when we do that, we're walking with that belt of truth intact. Revelations 1:14. his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. Now, remember the use of like. And as, because it's happening everywhere here, John is using the word like to describe the bright whiteness and the flaming eyes as best he could. Now, white hair depicts wisdom. Glory to God. Because <laughs> it happened to me more and more. So if you got white hair, you need to hallelujah. That's, that's wisdom. <laughs> Fire is a picture of cleansing and purging and purifying judgment. So his eyes were cleansing. Uh, his mere gaze had a purifying effect. You know, Jesus, who walked around on earth with dark hair, he was just another, he, he, listen, he was not a looker. He wasn't Hollywood handsome. Jesus got lost in the crowd physically. Isaiah said, there's no beauty that we would desire him. That's why he was able to walk through a crowd and dodge his persecutors that wanted to harm him because he looked like everybody else. But now, white hair, flaming eyes, feet like brass, a voice like thunder. Then verse 15 says, his feet were like fine brass, like refined in a furnace. His voice like many waters. Brass or bronze are used in scripture to symbolize strength. So he's symbolizing, he's personifying strength with the bronze-colored feet. His voice, many waters, it was commanding, it was awesome. It was like the sound of a mighty waterfall. Stand at the Niagara. Niagara falls and listen to the roar, and that's what Jesus' voice sounded like in his resurrected condition. John observes that the risen, glorified Messiah is holding something, and this is very curious. He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now, seven stars. Stars is from the Greek word asteros. Asteroid, you get it? Asteros. And they represented the seven messengers, either the seven messengers or pastors of these churches or angels sent to them. One or the other, to whom John was initially addressing the revelation, these stars, because in a minute he's going to call them angels, angelos, which means messenger. So it's either the leadership of the church or angels that were posted over the seven churches. The two-edged sword that went out of his mouth, we know what that is. That depicts judgment particularly when he returns to judge the world, because when he does return and every eye sees him, he is going to commence with judgment. Jesus laid his, now it says, when John saw all this, he fainted. Don't tell me that you, Jesus came into your bedroom and the two of you had a dance. Please don't tell me that. Because if you ever encounter Jesus anywhere, you are gonna be on the ground. You are going to be like somebody dead. I hate the way he's marginalized and anthropomorphized, which means made into a human like us. He's not. He's God. He's the resurrected Lord of glory. When John sees all this, he faints, and so would I. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But Jesus laid his right hand. Jesus was right-handed. That just came to me, that's free, you can go check it out. He laid his right hand on John and said, don't be afraid, I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm not here to scare you to death, I'm here to bless you. Then in verse 18, Christ reveals two keys that are in his possession. I am, he says in verse 18, I'm the living one, I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold two keys, the key of death and the key of hell. Keys represent absolute control and authority. You can't go into a room that is locked without the key. You gotta have a key. And Jesus wrested the keys of death and hell from the devil. And now he says, now I'm holding them because I destroyed him by my shed
1: blood. Hallelujah. Pastor Jeff will be back in a moment, but first I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Now, you may not be able to stay with us for the entire program, but don't worry. You can find the program at our website, hardwired.org, along with all of the programs from Pastor Jeff. Also, we regularly get emails and calls from listeners just like you who tell us how much the program means to them. But we would love to hear from you too. So let me encourage you to connect with us by calling 877-884-3111 or through the website hardwired.org. That's hardwired.org. Or call 877-884-3111. And now let's get back to Pastor Jeff with the rest of today's program.
0: No longer the devil in control of death and hell but the resurrected Christ now holds the keys. And as already mentioned, the key and the outline to the entire book is in verse 19. Write the things you've seen, the things that are right now, and the things that will take place after this, past, present, future. The glorified Messiah is informing John that he is about to be shown the future, the things which will take place after this. Can I tell you folks something? There's a lot of religious books in the world. There's the Quran. there's the Book of Mormon. There is so many, I mean, I I could, there's all kinds of Indian deity books and different Middle Eastern religions and Far Eastern religions and all kinds of religious books. But none of them dare to predict the future with any specificity at all, except the Bible. Did you know that? Just the Bible, Book of Mormon, the Quran. You you name the book, Buddha, Buddha never predict the future. Buddha didn't even know where he was half the time. (laughs) So what I'm saying is the Bible that you hold in your hand is the only book that dared to predict the future with incredible specificity over and over and over again. One quarter of your Bible is prophecy. And the book of Revelation is 19 chapters of it out of 22, 19 chapters. The first chapter ends with a summation and explanation of the things John had just seen. Let's finish it. Revelations 120, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels. There you go, angelos. That's the Greek word for messenger, angel. Angels were known as messengers. So the seven stars that you saw John the asteros, those were angels, messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands you saw are the seven churches. So you had the messengers and you had the churches. Please catch this. I want you to see how very present tense Jesus is to his churches. He said, and we're about to see in Chapter two and three, he knows exactly what's going on with every one of them, with x-ray vision. Let me just deal with the first one and we'll close tonight because I know I've given you a lot of information. The next two chapters, chapter two and three, the risen Messiah has a direct word for every single church. And and I got to tell you, studying this, I said, I wonder what he would say to me about turning point. And I'm going to tell you, it scares me. Just because I fear the Lord, what does he see? What does he know? How would he assess it? I'm not asking for it, but it humbles me and it puts the fear of the Lord in me. Because because we're about to see he's got his finger on the pulse of every one of them, dead or alive. So the first one is in Ephesus. And the first one is known as the Loveless Church. We notice that Jesus' first comments to them are positive. He says in Revelations 2, verse 2, so we're starting in Revelations 2, I know all the things that you do. Oh, let's just stop right there. Everybody say, help me, Lord. He said, I know everything you do. (laughs) I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. I wonder how many churches do, grabbing hands with the world like they are these days. But notice that Jesus commended them for not tolerating evil. So where in the world do we get off that we can't address evil in the culture? Because Jesus commends them for not tolerating evil. Did you read the same thing I did? Yes. So he sees hard work, he sees patient endurance, and he sees we're not tolerating evil people. No. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. False apostles. Anytime anybody says to me, I'm an apostle, first thing I want to do is I want to look behind them and see how many churches they've built. And I want to, I'm tempted, I don't do it, but it would be very cantankerous of me to do it. But sometimes I want to say to them, define apostle for me. Define, because let me tell you, oh, I'll probably get in trouble here. I do this every time, but here we go. I don't believe there's any more capital A apostles. I believe there were small-a apostles. Apostolos is the Greek word. It just means sent one. That's all it means, sent one. But the 12 that Jesus called out and chose and anointed and appointed, and many of them ended up writing the Bible, they were capital A. So these people that go around throwing that title around, I'm so tempted to say to them, define it for me. What does that mean? Because notice here, they tested people who said they were apostles and they weren't. Just throwing this out. You have discovered they are liars. Who said that? Jesus did. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. How many of you want to and be able to say that about you? You patiently suffered and you didn't quit. Come on, you didn't quit. Jesus commends them for not quitting. So their pluses were hard work, patient endurance, intolerance of evil, discernment, and patient suffering without quitting. But the Lord's next statements are corrective. Verse 4, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other like you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove... Ooh. I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. What's the lampstand? I believe it's the presence and the blessing. And if we could say the divine ordination of the Lord on a house of worship, a church. And do you know that I've seen churches that lost their lampstand and they never even knew it? Mm, This is heavy stuff. This is why I can handle only one church tonight. I'll remove your lampstand from its place. Now notice, they hadn't lost their first love. They had left their first love. Catch that? You've left your first love. What was the first love? Their passion for the Lord. The love they had walked in when they were first saved. Remember when you first got saved, you loved Jesus. Oh, Jesus this and Jesus that. You witnessed everything that moved. You were in church every time the doors were open. You were red hot, zealous for God. You remember that? We call it the cage stage, right? And and I love the cage stage. Give me a thousand people in the cage stage. You know, instead of, you know, sour and bitter and half, lukewarm and no, no, give me people that are about half crazy for Jesus. All right? But they lost their first love and Jesus saw it. it just you know, he's, He knew the church and he saw it. And here's what I believe happened. They essentially got so busy with the work of the Lord, they somehow got disattached from the Lord of the work. They got so busy with the work of the Lord that they forgot the Lord of the work. You can make the work of the Lord your God. Oh, you can. I know because I've done it. Oh, ministry was an idol to me. It's hard for me to say, but it was. I lived, ate, breathed, slept. Everything was ministry, everything. But I've noted, you can get so involved in the work of the Lord that you begin to associate it with the Lord of the work, but that's not him. The work of the Lord is only what he does. It's not him we need to be sure we're always focused on the person Christ, not just what he does. The miracles, the salvations, you know, the answered prayers, all of that. That's all what he does, but that's different from who he is. And Jesus is telling them, you've gotten somehow distant from me. You're doing so many things right, but you got distant from me. What was the solution? Repent and return. I'm so glad there's an answer. Repent and return. I'm going to give you a nugget and we'll close tonight. Here's the nugget. All ministry, all ministry should flow out of love and devotion for the Lord Jesus. Not for fame, not for money, not for power, but only because you love him. And that's what's going to produce
1: the works you get rewarded for. Gold, silver, precious stones. Thanks for tuning in today to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 877-884-3111. You can also connect with us at our website, hardwired.org. It's no secret that our country has had some extreme challenges over the last year or two. People have been going through depression, isolation, emotional pains, disillusionment, and more, and are looking for something to grab a hold of for security. Well, the answer is not in something, it's someone, Jesus Christ. And that's what this program is all about. So here's how you can help us get this message out. Being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. And we believe that these messages with Pastor Jeff are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 877-884-3111 or at our website, hardwired.org. 877-884-3111 or go to hardwired.org. Thank you for your very generous gifts. God bless and thanks for listening to Hardwired.